Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Please release me. If you now have until your 80s to pay off your mortgage, does this spell the end of equity release? Mike Banks have rallied as hopes of a radical shake-up to the current account market have been dashed. But where does this leave their customers? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues and economists. The surging value in house prices means that using your property to pay for your retirement is becoming increasingly common. Rather than downsize, many pensioners have been opting for equity release in recent years. But could a shake-up in the conventional mortgage market change this trend? I'm joined in the studio by James Pickford, Deputy Editor of FT Money, and Adrian Anderson, Director at Broker Anderson Harris. Starting with James... Firstly, talk us through the changes in the mortgage market. How important are they? Well, interestingly, this month we've seen a bit of a shift among two lenders, uh, Halifax and Nationwide, who between them uh, account for getting on for a, a third of the residential mortgage market. And they've what they've done is lift the, the age limits by which one has to pay off the mortgage. Halifax and up to 80 and nationwide for its own its existing customers from 75 to 85 so this is a big change and it's in response to the fact that older people haven't been particularly well served by the mortgage market mm. these age limit barriers are, are sort of for some are quite arbitrary particularly when older people will often have steady income coming in through their pensions or their investments it seems just arbitrary to set this age limit and and particularly for older borrowers who are who have an interest only mortgage if they try and move on to a repayment mortgage it's almost impossible for them to do so within that time limit so i'm going to bring in adrian anderson now adrian you're unusual in the sense that you advise on conventional mortgages and equity release so now that providers as james has told us are lifting some of the barriers to borrowing into retirement do you think that more elderly borrowers will plump for a conventional mortgage as opposed to releasing equity from their homes um, well, it's, it's certainly very good news for older borrowers that um, Nationwide and Halifax are now going to be able to lend to um, older people post-retirement age. Historically, these lenders have normally required the mortgage to be paid off by state retirement age or possibly by age 70. 
lenders are now increasingly looking at people's income in retirement and if the mortgage is deemed to be affordable and if there's a suitable repayment vehicle in place to pay the mortgage off at the end of the term, there's now more options available for older borrowers and they may not necessarily have to look at a conventional sort of equity release mortgage. So if I come to you, Adrian, as a, as a 65-year-old person <laughs> and, and I want to get a mortgage or I want to release equity of some kind, I want to use the, the value that's built up in my property, what would you recommend? Okay, so a mortgage intermediary will, will have to advise that the best route forward for the client. And if the borrower has the ability to be able to service a mortgage, a conventional mortgage, and has a suitable repayment vehicle in place or strategy in place, then actually a, a conventional mortgage will most likely be a cheaper option than an equity release mortgage. So I think more older borrowers will now be able to look at a conventional mortgage if if that works for them. And is that cheaper? Because Why cheaper? They're, they're generally cheaper. So a, a conventional mortgage, the borrower will need to be able to be able to service the mortgage. Mm. And there's sort of two year fixed rates in the market at sort of 1.2, 1.3, 1. 1.4% or possibly five year fixes at sort of 2.1 to 2.4, 2.5, depending on the, um, the loan to valuation. Whereas equity release rates are significantly higher than a conventional mortgage. They're, they're normally 5 6 7%, again, depending on the loan to valuation. So generally speaking, a conventional mortgage is, is normally a cheaper option for the borrower. Are there any circumstances, Adrian, in which you would say equity release was a better idea? Yeah, absolutely. There is a place in the markets for equity release. So when the borrower maybe doesn't have an income or when they don't have a means of repaying the mortgage, then there is a place in the market for equity release. The equity release loan would normally generally, the interest would normally generally roll up. And generally speaking, an equity release mortgage would normally double in terms of the the loan size over sort of a 10 or 11 year period. So it can be perceived to be quite expensive borrowing and the equity in a property could potentially be eroded away for for children, etc., who may be looking to inherit. But certainly if the borrower is older and they don't have an income and they do require some money in retirement, uh, maybe for home improvements, or or just don't have enough income, then they are still able to borrow money from their property via equity release mortgage. It's still the case, is it not, that you're not required, if you want to get an equity release loan, you're not required to tell your children. So there are still cases where (laughs) the uh, potential beneficiaries of your your asset on your death or, or when you sell up could get a nasty surprise. Correct. Yeah, I mean, the advisor would always recommend to their clients that they speak to their children and all of their family members, because quite often taking an equity release mortgage is a family decision. But the borrower may not want to include their children at all. And if so, then that's their choice. But they're certainly advised to to bring in all their family members if, if need be. Well, thanks very much there to James Pickford and Adrian Anderson. You can read FT Money's cover feature this weekend, all about the topic in question, as part of the Weekend FT, or read us online at ft.com slash money. An Alice in Wonderland world is how our next guest describes the bond market. Our income investor columnist Micah Curry, an investment director at Fidelity International, has been examining the impact of negative yielding bonds on our retirement prospects and what investors can do to avoid this. Micah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Claire. So in your column this week, you've looked at bonds, an important part of any well-balanced portfolio, you could argue, yet 
You're cautioning investors to tread carefully. Why? That's right. So what do I mean by an Alice in Wonderland world? Basically, we have these topsy-turvy consequences and nowhere is it more evident than in the government bond market. Mm. So we've got investors buying government bonds in the vague hope that someone will pay an even sillier price later for that asset or buying a government bond knowing that if you hold this asset to maturity, you're probably going to suffer a capital loss. But as you say, bonds are an important part of a balanced portfolio. And as we near retirement, we actually shift more of our assets into the fixed income space because that's the way we preserve wealth. But in this world of negative interest rates, where we've got six central banks across the world experimenting with that, we will actually be eroding wealth and not preserving wealth by doing that. Yet investors keep on piling into bonds, UK gilts in particular, enjoying the strongest sales in a year and a half. So what's going on? Well, it is interesting. As you mentioned, UK gilts have have had a really good year and a half. And investors are looking past all of these worries about Britain's place in the EU, concerns over Brexit and looking at the bigger global picture. And despite the poor value in bonds, the very, very low yields or the negative yields, they're still piling into bonds. The other thing they're doing is they're looking to the more riskier end of the fixed income spectrum. So they're looking at high yielding bonds that are known as junk bonds for a reason. And the problem is that in this environment of record low interest rates, it's been possible for companies to borrow really cheaply. Mm. And the reason junk bonds are paying enticing yields is because the quality isn't good enough. So when boring bonds start acting like shares on steroids, investors really need to be very, very careful. So where do investors turn for fixed income exposure that plays the role bonds are supposed to be playing in that portfolio? Well, that is a very good question. What do you want from a bond? You want an income and you want it to provide that sort of safe and steady return. Now, I've looked at ethical bond funds and it's very interesting because these funds only invest in investment grade corporate bonds. So they're steering clear of the the, the junk bond market. They're also steering clear of the government bond market because they do classify a lot of the activity by governments as unethical. There are a number of funds in the sector. There are about seven. The one that I looked at in particular was the Rathbone Ethical Bond Fund. Now, since this fund was launched back in 2002, it's had a yield target of between 5 and 7%. And for most of the time, it's been yielding around 5%. Mm, pretty perky. Exactly. Now, in an environment where interest rates are 0.5%, an income paid quarterly of 5% would make most investors sit up and take notice. And what I will mention here, and most of the the listeners will be aware of the rule of 72. So if you want to quickly work out how you can double your investment, you look at the interest rate on offer and you divide that by 72. Now, if we divide 5% by 72, we get to a number of 14 and a half years. Seems like a long time, but consider that you're going to spend about a third of your life in retirement. However, if we take the bank rate of 0.5% and we do the maths there, it'll take us 144 years to double our money. So the right bond investment still makes a lot more sense than cash. Well, thanks very much. That was Micah Curry there with her calculator. And you can read her full column now on ft.com slash money, as well as in the weekend paper. Now, it's taken two years and around £5 million for the UK's competition watchdog to decide that there's actually nothing much wrong with the market for current accounts and small business banking in the UK. 
Hopes of a radical shake-up to end the dominance of our big four banks appear to have been dashed. Here to explain what it means for the bank's customers, as well as those who invest in the banks, is Emma Dunkley, the FT's retail banking correspondent. Emma, welcome to The Money Show. There have been fears that this review by the Competition and Markets Authority could have actually ended the free banking model. So what happened? Yes, well, key to the Competition and Market Authority's vision and view is that the largest four banks in the UK currently dominate about 77% of the personal current account market and about 85% of small business banking. The reason why, they believe, is that very few customers actually switch banks. And core to this is the fact that customers can't really get a clear view of how much they're paying in terms of charges, fees and foregone interest on current accounts. So from that position, uh, key to their remedy which they um, set out yesterday, is the fact that charges and fees need to be made clearer on current accounts. So a lot of people thought in the run-up to this that actually free in-credit banking would come to an end. And the reason why is that the notion of it being free is actually a complete myth. Mm. In fact, most customers don't realise this, but they're paying hidden fees and charges, especially when they fall into their overdraft, um, not to mention unarranged overdrafts, but also just in terms of foregone interest, which means if they'd have moved to another current account, they could have earned a lot more. So the CMA's figures show that, in fact, banks in 2014, about £1.2 billion worth of their revenue in that year actually came from fees from unauthorised overdrafts. So this is why a lot of people thought free and credit banking would come to an end. However, the CMA actually stopped short of doing this. And I think ultimately their view is that these accounts actually work quite well for a number of customers. They were concerned that if they did end this and people would have to pay fees, that perhaps the overall cost of current accounts would go up, not to mention the fact that it's quite a politically contentious move to suddenly force people to pay the banks fees for what has been seen as a free service in an era where banks have been fined for mis-selling and other misbehaviours. Interesting, particularly seeing as the UK government owns various chunks of our banking industry right now. But as for the market reaction, shares in the UK's big four banks rallied yesterday. I mean, do you think this is a sign that the competition authority should really have been a bit tougher? I think it is. I mean, some critics argued that this was a bit of a once in a lifetime opportunity for the watchdog to really shake up the market. I mean, it's had two years, it spent £5 million on doing this review. And essentially, some critics arguing that their proposals to inject competition are just sort of tinkering around the edges. Because nobody is switching bank accounts still, despite all of the the money and the publicity that people are throwing at it. Indeed, there are about 51 million bank accounts, uh, current accounts in the UK and only 3% um, switched. Now, actually, the CMA believes that with um, their remedies, their proposed remedies, mm. that this will go up by 1%, but over five years. So it will only increase to 4% of all UK current account holders switching, um, which doesn't seem very large. And they believe that current account holders will therefore save about £1 billion over this time period. What of the other remedies that the CMA is proposing? Do you think any of them will make a difference? Well, interestingly, the first thing they outlined were the remedies that they decided not to do. So, for example, they just, they explained why they didn't opt to end free and credit banking. Um, and they also explained why they decided not to break up the big banks, which was one uh, possibility within their toolkit. And they essentially said that they believe this didn't address the fundamental issue of the lack of clarity around fees and charges. So what they have done is they've told banks that they need to set a maximum on the charges that they impose on a monthly basis on unarranged overdrafts. But interestingly, this is not them imposing an industry-wide cap. 
This is allowing individual banks to literally set their own maximum charge. So there's been some criticism there that they haven't been as tough as they they could have been. They've also told banks to send customers alerts when they're about to fall into their unarranged overdrafts so that they can avoid doing so and incurring charges. They've also said that they'll push the development of uh, online comparison sites so customers can better select what uh, current accounts are most suitable for them. And lastly, they're pushing something called open APIs. Sounds a bit technical. It's where banks will be forced to share customer data with their permission to third parties as a way to improve comparison sites and the sharing of customer data so that they can get tailored solutions to them. Well, all very interesting. Thanks very much. That was Emma Dunkley, the FT's retail banking correspondent, and we'll be looking further into those issues and whether you should be switching your current account and how to do it in FT Money this weekend. We'd love to know what you think about equity release, overdraft charges, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email, our address, money at ft.com, or tweet us at FT Money. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else will feature in this weekend's issue. I question my own husband is subsidising my free bank account in my serious money column, and Mayor in Somerset Web takes stock of the Queen's 90 years. Plus, we have the latest share tips and directors' deals from the Investors Chronicle. The Money Show was produced in London by Naomi Rovnik. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me and our studio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Goodbye.